0: Well, good morning. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 24. 1 Samuel chapter 24 is where we're going to be. You know, something that I've learned in my short 41 years on this planet is that life involves you walking through different seasons of life, right? Uh, Sometimes we walk through some seasons that are good, that we wish we wish we could find some kind of slow motion switch to just slow things down so we could drink it in. And then there's some seasons that we walk through where we're looking for like a fast-forward switch to just get us through that season as quickly as possible. Y'all know what I mean? So this past summer, we were vacationing. My parents get a place down in Palm Coast in the summer for a week on the beach. And uh, me and my family were down there uh, for a week. And my brothers are there. All the cousins are there. It's a It's a big group. And uh, one night, it was 4th of July week, and it was actually on 4th of July, and we're all out on the balcony, this big balcony, right on the beach, and it's just beautiful, and the uh, ocean breeze is just kind of just flowing in, and it's just a good night. And it was milkshake night, all right? They were making milkshakes for everybody. Anybody else like milkshakes? I love milkshakes. And so they're blending up milkshakes and passing them out, we're all chilling out on the patio. And uh, the the place there they didn't do a fireworks show that night but there's some guy out on the beach who evidently spent his life savings at phantom fireworks because it was like an epic fireworks presentation that we were enjoying and so you got milkshakes we're enjoying this fireworks presentation and there's a bluetooth speaker there and somebody said hey we ought to play some music while the fireworks are going off and i was like say no more I like, I think I'm a pretty good, you know, uh, set list, put her together person. All right, so I grabbed uh, the phone and synced it up with the Bluetooth speaker and put together an awesome patriotic song set list. And I was playing. I thought it was pretty awesome until somehow Miley Cyrus's party in the USA got on the set list. I blame that on my nieces who twisted my arm to get that on the set list. But it's just one of those moments where I was sitting there... And, you know, my kids are out there, all my nieces, nephews, cousins, brothers, their wives, my uh, parents, and we're just hanging out, just none of the kids are fighting. It's just everybody's chill, watching these fireworks. Lee Greenwood's God Bless the USA is in the background, and we're drinking milkshakes. And I'm like, is there a pause button on life? You know what I mean? Just one of those moments you just wish you could just stop and slow down. Just a good moment, and and you wish you could find that slow motion, because you you know know life's not always going to be like that. You know, life's not always going to be spent in those seasons. And if you've ever experienced those types of moments, you know, whether it's moments in your uh, relationships or your marriage or your career, you know, those mountaintop moments, you, you just want to like soak it in. You just want to savor it and you want to hit pause because you know that life isn't spent there life isn 't spent on a balcony by the ocean watching fireworks with Lee Greenwood playing in the background while you 're drinking milkshakes that 's just not real life that 's not how life is always spent that at some point your life 's going to descend into a valley into a difficult season of life and maybe maybe you 're in a season like that this morning. Those are seasons where you can experience depression and anxiety, relationship trouble, rebellious kids, hard marriage moments, financial difficulties your a career problems, so or your career takes a turn for what ends up being a turn for the worst. And when you experience those seasons, it's, it's common to feel stuck, if it, to feel forgotten, to feel overlooked. We can wonder, you know, in those moments, God, where are you at? God, have you forgotten me? We can experience even spiritual, some spiritual trouble, like doubt and fear and confusion to where you're, you're thinking like, God, cognitively, I know you're supposed to be on time, but it feels like you're late to the party on this one. Have you ever been there? Have you ever asked those questions? Have you ever wrestled with God in that way where you feel kind of stuck in the season and you want to be in another season and and you, you thought you would be there by now? You thought you'd be married by now? You thought you'd be healed by now? You thought you'd be parents by now? You thought that you would feel healthier in your marriage by now? You thought that you wouldn't feel as broke anymore by now, but it doesn't feel that way. And you, you experience this friction in your life, don't you? Between where your life is and where you want it to be. Where your life is and where you long for it to be. And you kind of feel stuck in this sort of waiting room. Wondering, God, what is next? Well, if that's you, this next part of David's story is really going to encourage you this morning. I pray it encourages you because if you ever ask those questions, that's exactly where David's at in his life in the passage that we're going to look at this morning. And as we study how he responds to heavy and hard seasons in his life, we're going to learn a lot. As we see how he responds when life doesn't go the way that you expect it to go, we're going to learn a lot. And the main lesson that we're going to learn from this part of his story is to never take matters into your own hands, to resist the temptation to play God, to resist the temptation to take shortcuts. But to always trust God and to practice patience. And some of you are in the thick of a heavy and hard season this morning. and This, is gonna, this passage is going to hit you right where you're at this morning. And some of you aren't. Some of you aren't. Maybe you're experiencing some of those mountaintop moments right now and it doesn't feel like you're in a heavy and hard season. And if that's you, don't make the mistake of tuning out or maybe leaving today and saying something that sometimes we can often say when something doesn't hit us directly. Like something like, man, I don't know if I got... I mean, it was it a was good today. But I just don't know if I got much out of that. A better thought to have when you leave and you maybe didn't feel like it directly applied to you today is this. I wonder if there was anybody in my church family who needed that today. And I'm even going to spend my ride home praying for them. And this is also one of those things where even if this isn't applying to your life right now and you're on the mountaintops, take note because I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but a valley's coming. Life's not spent on the mountaintops. You're going to descend into a valley of difficulty, and we need to make sure we're ready when that happens. So stand with your Bible open, 1 Samuel chapter 24. Let's read the first seven verses. It says, When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of the En Gedi, or En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Yep. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave, and the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe, and afterward David's heart struck him, because he had cut off the corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not, per, did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Have a seat as I pray. Father, I pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. God, we need your help to hear this rightly and to understand it correctly and to believe it and to apply it. And so, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would take control of this service. Lord, we pray as best we can, we'd yield ourselves to you and surrender ourselves to you in this moment. Put ourselves under your word and that you change us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so let me go ahead and give you the first point this morning, the first uh, thing that we're going to learn from this part of David's story, and it's this, it's the importance of refusing to take shortcuts in our waiting room. Right, refusing to take shortcuts in our waiting room. Now, let's remember where we are in our Bibles. Last week, we studied uh, about the friendship between David and Jonathan, who is the son of Saul, and learned how God knew that David was going to experience some really difficult times ahead and how he'd need a godly friend to encourage him and to be there for him. And here in chapter 24, David is in the thick of that difficult season. And for a little while, things were good before he gets into the season, right? He was flying high. David was on the rise. He finds out he's the next anointed king of Israel. He defeats Goliath. He becomes a national hero overnight. He marries the king's daughter. He gets this high-level-paying government job in the nation. Uh, He moves into the palace. Uh, He seems to have a good working relationship with King Saul. He's flying high, right? But King Saul... Is eating up with envy, as we talked about last week. He's eating up with jealousy, and he just turns on David. He just turns into this murderous maniac king. He uses state-controlled media to try to ruin David's reputation. He takes David's family away from him. He's throwing spears at David's head, and he's on a mission to murder David because he feels threatened by David. He's trying to thwart God's plan for David to become the next king of Israel. And David, who's done nothing wrong, has done nothing to deserve any of this, has only been loyal, has only been loving to King Saul, is on the run. And David has descended from this mountaintop moment down into this valley, a valley of suffering that is a level of suffering that we can only imagine. And one day, Saul gets a report that David and his men... By the way, who are David's men? I mean, you're wondering that. Who are David's men? Who are these warriors with David? Who are these men that are uh, kind of traveling around in a pack with David? Well, these would have been disgruntled uh, military men who were you know fed up with the with Saul's antics and knew that David would be the next king so they've rallied around David and they're traveling around with David and they're loyal to him and so he's hiding out in the wilderness with his men Saul catches wind of this and so Saul puts together 3000 of his best warriors this is like naval navy seals and And they uh, go after him. And that brings us to verse 3. And it says, And Saul came to the sheepfolds by the way, where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now, David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. All right, can you say awkward situation right here? All right, they're traveling. Saul and his his, his guys, 3,000 men, are traveling out into the wilderness. And Saul's like that, that one middle school boy. You can count on him every youth trip when you're going on a, on a multi-hour road trip and you're only 25 minutes outside of town. He's, Mr. Jonathan, I need to go to the bathroom. Can we pull over? And I'm like, you, did you guys not go at the church? Well, I forgot. All right, that's Saul right here. All right, so they're traveling out into the wilderness and he's got to pull over for a restroom. Stop. All right. And what he doesn't know is that this cave that he's turned into a makeshift porta potty is also the hideout spot for David and his guys. And they recognize that King Saul's come into the cave, but King Saul's unaware that he's got company in the cave. And Saul settles in and begins to take care of business. He's gotten away away from his men to have kind of this private moment. And by the way, you got to love the word of God, right? It's this detail right here. Like, why is this here? Because this is what actually happened, right? You can't make this up. This is what actually happened. Never has a potty break had more of an eternal significance on the history of the world than this one right here. In eternity, really, right? That's a reminder, God's always at work. God is even sovereign over our restroom breaks. I know this is awkward, I'm going to keep moving. All right, well, the awkwardness of this moment turns into anticipation as David's men realize that this murderous king who has been pursuing them? Could he? He couldn't be in a more vulnerable position. Thinks he's alone in that cave, and so they're like, it only makes sense to kill him. In fact, they quickly conclude that this is this is not only convenient. This has got to be God's will. Like God's got to be the one orchestrating. How else can you explain this, right? God is. It's easy to see, David, that God's teeing up an opportunity for you to go ahead and take care of Saul right here. It doesn't get any easier than this. You can almost hear them whispering counsel in the innermost parts of that cave to David. Like, David, God's promised you the throne. He says that it's yours. He's promised that he'd put his enemy into your hand. Is this not what this is? Saul's got 3,000 men coming after us, and here he is by himself. Let's take care of him. That like God's made us away right here to end this. Let's end it. You're sleeping in the palace tonight. We get promotions and all of this, this horrible nightmare is over. And it's not difficult to imagine how tempting this would have been for David, right? Because keep in mind, this, this whole season of Saul just making terrorizing David and pursuing him and trying to murder him, that this whole season that's documented in three chapters in 1 Samuel is actually covering the span of seven or eight years. Think about how long that is. That King Saul has terrorized David. He's driven him away from his wife. He's publicly humiliated him and slandered him. He's relentlessly tried to murder him, and he's right there. He's right in front of him. And so David feeling the pressure from these incredible and unlikely circumstances, feeling the pressure, from his own fleshly desires, I'm sure, feeling the pressure from his friends who are making their advice sound really spiritual. What is he going to do? Look at verse four. Then David arose and stealthily cut off the corner of Saul's robe. So David stands up, he moves toward Saul. His buddies like are going, David, here we go. It's about to happen. Game is about to be over. And David slowly moves towards Saul and comes back with just a piece of his robe. And you know his guys are like, um, David, did did you swing and miss? Can you explain yourself? Right? What's going on here? Do you need a little help taking this guy out? And here's what David says in verse 6 and 7. He says, The Lord forbid that I shall do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put my to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit uh, permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. And here's what happened. David arises, he says he arose, he has a knife in hand, and as he's moving towards Saul, the Spirit of God ministers to his heart and shows him that this just isn't killing an evil, wicked guy in a cave. This would be disobeying God's word. This is David realizing that the decision on the table for him is to compromise God's ways and God's word just to experience a shortcut to God's blessing for his life. And in that moment, he realizes this is not a deal I can take. I'm not taking this into my hands. I've got to trust God. So he pulls back, cuts off a little part of Saul's robe. Now, what's that about? For one, what he's doing by cutting that robe is he's taking it out of compliance with the Torah, which means Saul's main symbol of kingship, which would have been his robe, unwearable. Right? It's basically David's way of saying, Hey, Saul, I'm not killing you, but I'm letting you know that your days of being a king are coming to an end. So he's firing shots at Saul, but he actually feels a little bad about doing that. And the second reason, because if you continue reading, Saul's going to depart from the cave and he's going to go with his men and there's going to be a little separation with them across the wilderness and David's going to run out of the cave and he's going to rebuke Saul. He's going to defend himself and he's going to lift up that piece of his robe and say, hey, listen, this is proof that I could have killed you, but that's not the intent of my heart. I've only been loving to you. I've only been loyal to you. Well, what's going on right here? This is a part of David's story that we learn a lot about what it means to endure faithfully through heavy and hard seasons. When we feel stuck, when we're waiting on God to show up, when we're waiting on God to move, when we're tempted to take matters into our own hands... This teaches us some lessons here about what it means to endure faithfully. Now, none of us are probably going to face what David faced right here, right? None of us are probably ever going to have a wicked, self-absorbed, maniacal, murderous king who's also your father-in-law pursuing you, trying to kill you, right? You may have some father-in-law issues. I don't. I have a great father-in-law, but yours might give you some headaches or give you a hard time. But he's probably never going to throw a spear at your face, right? If so, you need to talk to someone today, okay? At least come down for prayer. We'd like to pray with you if you're worried about getting a spirit thrown at your face at your next family gathering. We're, we're probably not dealing with that, right? But when life does place us in places we don't like, are we not like David and his men? Tempted to take matters into our, ha- our own hands? Tempted to take shortcuts instead of trusting God, instead of following God's word, instead of waiting on God and waiting on His timing? For example, are you feeling tempted this morning to take matters in your own hands by taking the satanic shortcut of payback, of revenge. That's certainly what they were tempted with. Maybe it's in the form of you being tempted to take the satanic shortcut of taking matters into your own hands by escaping into worldly pleasures. Because for example, life isn't the way that I want it to be and because I feel trapped in this waiting room maybe you're tempted to escape into something that scripture forbids. Try and numb the disappointment to try to numb the discontentment. And so you reach for something illicit. It could be substances. It could be drugs. It could be sexual immorality. And professing Christians at times, isn't it interesting, will allow circumstances and will allow their own fleshly desires and will even allow foolish friends near them to give them counsel that will somehow try to justify those actions as something God would approve of and be okay with. It's not uncommon for people to give you really bad advice. Like, hey, God ultimately wants you to be happy, right? God wants you to be happy. And how long have you been stuck in that unhappy marriage? How long have you been in that waiting room? Do you think it's a coincidence that you, it's coincidence that you met this perfect guy at work who happened to be put on your team at this exact time that you're experiencing all of this loneliness and all of these feelings and feeling stuck in your marriage? And that all y'all have the same that y'all have all the same interests and you're very compatible. It must be God's will for you to turn from the vows that you made to your spouse and leave your spouse for this guy. That's not uncommon advice to get from people these days. But remember, always remember, ungodly friends, our fleshly desires, our circumstances are terrible guides to God's will. Or how about this one? Hey, sweetheart, I got some good news. Have we not felt trapped in this waiting room of having our finances just feeling like they're out of control? Well, guess what? I just won a free trip to Vegas. This has got to be God telling me that I need to go out there and have some fun and gamble away my savings account to get us out of this waiting room. If you have a godly wife, she'll go, no, that's not right. My point is our hearts can be very deceitful. And often we will try to piece together the serendipitous magic of our circumstances and piece it all together when really it's just us cloaking a fleshly desire underneath to do what we want to do. True. That's right. To escape the hardship of a really difficult season. Right. I mean, it's not just escaping into the worldly pleasures that are, are, we kind of categorize as obvious and big. It can be trying to escape into our phones and scrolling to places we don't belong. It can be trying to eat our stress away. It can be fantasizing about another life or another spouse. We're tempted to compromise in a number of ways. But whenever we do it and however we do it, when we take matters into our own hands and we think that it's going to help us, the result is always the same. It never does. It never satisfies. The results are that it never fulfills our soul. And it actually robs us of the joy and the blessing that's found when we take the other path that we see that David shows us who through all of the noise of bad advice from friends in his own heart and the untrustworthy advice from his own circumstances listens to a better direction for his life. And that's the voice of God. And instead of trying to take a shortcut to where he thought he should be, he learned to trust God and wait and practice patience In that waiting room of his life that seasons of his life and here's here's a hopeful message to you this morning so can we you can practice patience too and that brings us to the second point this morning we learned from David's life and that's practicing patience in the waiting room Are are you a patient person? someone was immediately honest over here and just said no and they probably answered for most of us in the room we struggle with being patient don't we? I'll confess to you, I struggle with patience. I don't like to wait, and i got a feeling that I'm not alone. We all struggle with patience. we uh, That's why we like our microwaves. That's why we like our, what do you call them, air fryers. That's why you like Amazon Prime. That's why we... Like fast passes, that's why we like ad-free TV and ad-free music, because we don't like to wait. We don't like to wait in traffic. We don't like to wait in the waiting room. At the doctor's office, we're impatient people. We don't even like waiting too long in the in the line at the grocery store, right? Have you ever been in that situation, gone up to the checkout line, and you're like, oh, no, right? It's like horror movie music, like there's only one lane open, right? And there's two whole people in line. And you're like, do I really need groceries? Do my kids really need to eat this week? Do I have time to wait to purchase these groceries? We don't like to wait. We're very impatient people. But a mark of spiritual maturity in the life of a disciple is that they've learned to wait. That you've learned to practice patience, especially in the hard and heavy seasons of life. And the big question is how? How do we practice patience? Well, let me just tell you that the answer isn't just try to be more like David. The answer isn't pull yourself up by the bootstraps and try to be more like David. This is another place in the story that we've got to stop and remember that the, our point of identification in this story is not David. We are naturally, in our sin, we have way more in common with David's men in the cave. We have way more in common even with Saul than we do with David in this story. We've all taken sinful shortcuts. We've all compromised. We've all rushed out of the waiting room into the sins of the world trying to escape The waiting room that we're in, we've all failed to trust God. We've all failed to wait. And so before we learn from David, you've got to first recognize that we're not not first looking for ourselves in David. We need to first see the one who David's life points to, the Savior that we all need, who is Christ Jesus, who David is but a foreshadow of. Right? King David points to a greater David, Jesus Christ, who never compromised. Who showed perfect patience. Who was in the desert for 40 days and was tempted by Satan to take one simple shortcut to glory after another. And every time Jesus said no deal. Amen. Every time Jesus did not compromise. Every time Jesus didn't take the shortcut to glory. And, the good, and that's good news. And you, know why, and you know why that's good news? You know why he did it? Because he knows we could never do it. He knows we would compromise. We would sin. We would be impatient. We would take the deals. All of us have done it. But the good news of the gospel, can I just preach the good news of the gospel for a moment this morning? The hope of the gospel isn't that we get better in our own strength. good news of the gospel isn't that we get better at not sinning and taking shortcuts. Our great hope in the gospel is that Jesus Christ, who never took a shortcut, who lived a perfect life, A life completely pleasing to His heavenly Father. Something we could never do. We could never do. Who bore our sins on the cross. Who died in our place. Who rose again. Did that so that all who trust in Him as Lord and Savior, His obedience can cover our disobedience. His perfection can cover over our compromise. His sacrifice can cover over our sins. And if that has happened in your life as a believer, man, He's given you a spirit. He's given you a new heart. And it's a new heart that can now learn to be patient. A new heart that can now learn to trust God. That can practice supernatural patience in the most heavy and hard seasons of life. That can demonstrate the same kind of patience, the same kind of integrity that you see in, in David in that cave. But it's got to begin with a relationship of the one that David's life points to. That's Christ. And if you have... That relationship with Christ. You've got new life. You've got a new heart. And now we can go back to stories like David and actually learn what it looks like to trust in God. And we can actually practice that same kind of patience and integrity in our life by the power of God's Holy Spirit in us. Now, wouldn't it be cool, though, if we could, as we're trying to learn from David, as we understand we need a new heart to do this and to apply the principles that we see in his life, wouldn't it be... We learn a lot externally from his life, from Samuel... Right, We see the actions that he's going through and he's not killing you know, Saul and he's explaining a little bit of that in his response to his men. But wouldn't it be really cool if you could like, lift the hood on David's like, heart and see internally, spiritually, what, what, he's, what he's working through in his heart in this season and in this time? Wouldn't that be really cool? Answers yes, right. Well, turn to Psalm 57. Because that's exactly what you find there. Samuel shows us what's happening externally, but in Psalm 57, we actually get a journal entry from David's own prayer journal. And we're not just picking a psalm that kind of sounds like David may have written this in a time similar to the one that we just read about over in 1 Samuel chapter 24. Look at the superscript at the top of Psalm 57. What does it say to the choir director, according to do not destroy a mictum of David when he fled before Saul into the cave? This gives you a little insight into what's happening in David's heart in this season of him being in this cave running from Saul. Let me read 1 through 7, and then I'm just going to hit a couple of verses as we begin to wind down. Look at verse 1. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high. To God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears. And arrows whose tongues whose tongues are sharp words. Be exalted O God above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Look at verse 7. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. There's so much here. This is a sermon, whole sermon for a whole other day. But I do want to draw out a couple things right here. I want you to see three big things about God right here that have to capture your heart if you're going to be a disciple who practices patience. Three big things that got to capture your heart about God. Here's one of them. The promises of God. The promises of God. In your waiting room this morning, you need to ask, do I have a heart that believes in and is standing on the promises of God? Look at verse 2. I cry out to God Most High, to God who fulfills His purpose for me. We have to trust that God who makes promises is going to keep those promises in the life of His kids. What this looks like for David right here is he's like, David's basically saying, hey, i got a crazy king who's hunting me. He's got an army with him and they want to wipe me out. They, I've got no more influence. I've got no more power. And now this enemy's coming after me. His best warriors, it looks like I'm done. But here's what I do have. It looks like I don't have a whole lot. But here's what I know that I do have. i got a God who's bigger than all of that. I have a God whose plans can't be hindered, who keeps His promises to His people, whose ways can't be stopped. i got a God who has a purpose for my life, and He's going to fulfill those purposes in my life. His confidence is rooted in that, in that cave. And what I want to tell you today is the same promise-making, promise-keeping, ever-faithful God who David is trusting in, in that cave, is the same living God that we serve today. He's the same living God that we're worshiping this morning who we need to be trusting in our waiting rooms. He's a God who will fulfill His purpose in your life. He will keep His promises. Listen, I don't want you to hear me wrong. I want to clarify this again. I'm not the health, wealth, blabbit, grabber guy. We're not peddling prosperity gospel here. And what this does not mean right here, this is not a promise that, hey, this is not one of those kind of promises that if you just keep, you know, Keeping your faith and showing your faith and demonstrating your faith in the cave. One day you'll get that promotion. God promises you that. One day you'll get your breakthrough. God's going to bring that blessing into your life. Those aren't the kind of promises that God makes to His people in Scripture. That's right. He hasn't promised us that if we just wait in the cave, He'll give us the earthly crown. He's actually made us much better, more significant, more eternal promises that He will keep. Like Romans 8.28. That says He promises he's going to work no matter what you're going through he's going to work for your highest good and his highest glory that's his promise to you even in the hardest of seasons do you believe that That even right now as I speak in the midst of the hardest thing that you're going through right now through the, in the midst of unanswered prayers in the midst of that storm that God is working for his glory and for you your good that is a promise that you have to hold on to And that's important because there's times in life where the only thing you have to hold on to are the promises of God, like that one right there. Like the promises that He's never going to leave you or forsake you. Like the promises that He's robed you in the righteousness of His Son. That you're a forever child of God. That He is your good and loving and sovereign Heavenly Father who loves you and is only good and gracious towards His kids. And He'll never abandon you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never condemn you. He'll never forget you. And that even in the midst of crazy seasons, when things feel like they're completely out of control, He is your loving, heavenly, sovereign Father who promises to always be at work in every season for your good and for His glory. And there will be times where it doesn't feel like that. But in those moments, you've got to hold on to His promises. Lord. And keep walking and keep obeying by faith. The patience of God flows from a heart that stands on the promises of God. Number two, the glory of God. In your waiting room, you need to ask, do I have a heart that is consumed with the glory of God? Look at what David says in verse 5. David says, God be exalted above the heavens. Let your glory be over the whole earth. This shows us something about the heart of David that's really important. Saul is in hot pursuit of David. He's trying to kill David. He's ready to kill David as soon as he can. And David even says he feels like lions are hunting him. And yet he lifts up his eyes in this cave to pray. Not for relief. Not for instant peace. But for something bigger. God's exaltation and God's glory. That's what his mind's on. David is more concerned with God's glory than anything else in his life. Even his own well-being. His prayer... It's basically this, God, this is not about me. This is not about me. God, sure, I want this to go away. God, I pray that you would make this in, but it's not about me. Ultimately, it's about your glory. It's about the story that you are authoring, so I trust you. In my desire above anything else, even my own well-being, is that you would be glorified. The patience of God flows from a heart that's consumed, not just with the promises of God, but the glory of God. And number three, the presence of God. In your waiting room this morning, you need to ask, do I have a heart that treasures the presence of God? Verse 7 says, my heart is steadfast. O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Think about this. Think about the words coming out of his mouth and where he's at. Like he's in a stinky cave. He's in a miserable place. And there he is in this cave, in this porta potty smelling cave, standing there going, hey, hey, God's so good. I want the worship band to come up. We're going to sing a little praise music right now. That's how good God is. This is a beautiful picture of praising God along the way in all seasons of life. Listen, some of us, some of us need what I'm about to say this morning. Need to listen to what I'm about to say this morning. Some of you need to stop only viewing God as a God who can change circumstances. He can change circumstances. And we need to pray that He changes circumstances with faith. But you need to stop only viewing God as a God who can change circumstances. And you need to begin to learn to experience a God who can give you joy and peace and love regardless of what circumstances you're in. If your view of God is only limited to a God who can change circumstances, you're going to be constantly anxious, constantly frustrated that God isn't getting you to where you want to be. And you need to get a bigger view, more biblical view of God and learn to enjoy His presence along the way like David did. Because here's what David is doing. He's saying, you know what? I'm stuck in this place. I don't know how this is going to end. I don't know how I'm getting from this season to the next season. God, I don't know how you're getting me there. And I can list off a bunch of things that I don't have right now. I don't have a crown. Listen, I don't have a throne. I don't even have my wife beside me right now. But what I do have is I have your presence. I have the never-leaving presence of my God who created me, who has done nothing but sustain me, who has forgiven me, who has promised to protect me and to fulfill His purpose in His perfect timing in my life. And that's all I need, so I'm going to sing. Have you ever sung when it doesn't make sense to to sing? Because God is real, because Jesus is alive and His presence is with you. You know, the Christian life is kind of like a good road trip. You know what a... Rule number one of a great road trip, it really doesn't matter where you're going. It really doesn't matter what the scenery looks like. All that's good. But what really matters is who you're riding with. That's what makes it a good or a bad road trip. On a road trip, I don't really care. I don't care all that much. I like to travel and stuff. But I don't really care that much about where I'm going. I don't care about the scenery uh, from here to there. I don't care if I'm riding on that boring stretch from Tallahassee to Jacksonville watching a bunch of trees go by. I don't care where I'm at or where we're traveling. I don't really care where we're going. Hey, as long as I got some good friends in the car, as long as I got my wife with me and I got my music on, we can ride anywhere because I know it's going to be a good trip, not because of where I am going or, or what's around me, but because of who I'm riding with. Some of you already know where I'm going with this. What if we stop focusing all our attention in our life on getting to the next season that we want to get to? and instead chose to enjoy the presence of God, regardless of what season we are in. Whether it's a good one, whether it's a bad season, man, I'm going to be all right because of who I'm riding with. Because I'm riding with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who created me, who holds all things together, who's got a perfect plan for my my life that He's unfolding and has promised ultimately when it's all said and done that He's going to work things out in my life for my good and His glory. So if that's true... And that's who I'm riding with, man. I'm going to choose to praise Him. I'm going to choose to praise Him regardless of what my circumstances look like, no matter where I am. You know what that means? Even in the valley of a miscarriage this morning, He's still with you. And He's still worthy of your praise. Even though you feel broke, He's still with you. He's your treasure. And He's still worthy of your praise. Hey, even though my dad hadn't picked up the phone, many times have I tried to reach out to him. I'm still going to sing. Even though my child's not answering my attempts to get in touch with them, God's still worthy of my praise. And he's with me and I'm riding with him. And I'm going to continue to choose to sing through the storm. Even though my circumstances feel so broken, God, you are God. God, you are good. God, you are with me. And you are still worthy of my life. And I'm going to praise you. And even if on this, even if on this side of eternity, you never give me another good thing again, you've given me your son. You've given me your presence. And that's enough. So even in this hard season, I'm going to lift a song to you. And I'm going to wait. The patience of God flows from our heart That's standing on the promises of God. That's consumed with the glory of God. And is treasuring the presence of God. In your hard and heavy season believer this morning, don't rush God. Don't try to play the part of God. Stop trying to control your circumstances. Trust God. Wait on God. Stand on His promises. Enjoy His presence. Praise Him in the storm. To the person who's in a hard marriage this morning, listen to me. Don't take the shortcut. Trust God and wait. Don't take matters into your own hands. To the person in a health crisis, you feel stuck, you feel helpless, trust God. Wait on God. Praise God. Sing even when it doesn't make sense. Sense. Don't ta- take matters into your own hands. If you've been laid off of a job, you're in the middle of financial problems this morning, trust God, wait on God, sing even when it doesn't make sense. Whatever cave you find yourself in, believer, wait on God. The hardest thing that God may be calling you to do today is wait. Some of you are like, Yeah, yeah, but you're kind of young up there, Pastor. You don't really know... You don't really know the hard things that I've been through. You don't really know the tough circumstances that I've endured. I probably don't. There's plenty of people in God's Word who do. Job suffered greatly. Prophets like Jeremiah struggled greatly with depression and anxiety. Hannah struggled with infertility. Joseph, the way he was betrayed and sold into slavery, it's hard to even imagine how difficult that was for him to endure that. And you know what you find in common with all of those different people in God's Word? They didn't crawl into the fetal position. They didn't spend all of their time over in the corner of their waiting room pouting. They sought to wait faithfully, to endure faithfully. Didn't always get it right, but kept coming back to, I'm going to trust God in the storm. I'm going to keep singing through the storm. I'm going to trust that God's going to make a way where there seems to be no way, but I'm trusting Him to do what He needs to do, and to do it in His time, and to do it according to His perfect will. The hardest thing God may be calling you today, to today in your cave is to wait. For some of you, there's no harder thing for you to do right now than to wait. If God came down and gave you a 553-point plan that you needed to do that involved sweat and tears and blood and scaling mountains in order for you to get to the next season, you would be glad to do that in place of waiting. But that's not what God called you to do. He's called you to wait. To trust in Him. To trust that He watches over you with a sovereign purpose and a steadfast love. And to remember that it's all about His glory to wait and to sing through the storm. That's what we learned from David. We need help doing this, so let's pray right now and ask for God to help us. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Christ, I'll be standing down at the front of this room and would love to talk to you about what it means to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's that's the first thing. If you're not a Christian, that's the first thing you need to see in a passage like this is the one that David's life points to, and that's Jesus. He's the star of the story. And you need a Savior, you need a relationship with Him, and so I would love to talk to you and pray with you. Believer, this morning, you know, at the beginning of Psalm 57, there was a little phrase I didn't have time to dig into it, but it's the very first thing David says in his prayer journal entry there. He says, I cried. It's this honest, crying out in prayer to God. You know what you don't need to do this morning? You don't need to come to God with your polished prayers, praying prayers to him that you think he wants you to pray. You need to be honest before him. If you're in Christ, you have a relationship with him as an Abba Father who wants to hear the honest cries of your heart, and sometimes you just need to rip your heart open and be honest with God and just express your confusion, confusion, express your disappointment, express your questions. And just get it out. But then come back and land in a place of faith to go, God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't even know if I agree with what you're doing. But you're God and I'm not. And I trust you. And I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. And I'm going to stand on your promises. And I'm going to treasure your presence. And I'm going to be consumed about your glory. It's not about me. I'm going to wait. If you need to come forward this morning and pray, if you need to sit in your seat and pray, You need prayer, I'll be down front. If you just need to stand and sing, you stand and sing. You respond the way God's leading you to respond.